I hear the train coming, it's rolling around the bend, and I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when I'm stuck in fools in prison. And time keeps Come on, come on. There he goes. And he's falling asleep over here. So I'm going to start with a. What are you guys talking about? What are you guys talking about? All right, he's he's Ed sitting here smug in his suspenders, I'm setting half, things I'm up, half asleep. half asleep because he had to work today, which sucks. We know, man. Welcome, everybody. We are going to talk about a film that before I saw it today, he was really giggly about. So hopefully, I can get him back into the uh, oh no, the dude, swing it was of an things. Amazing film. So this weekend, Ed and I on Saturday after a delicious Mexican dinner. Um, went and saw The Suicide Squad. Not oh, to be confused that meal. with... meal. God damn it. Let's podcast about that. What about it? Yeah, yeah, well, that's that's how we like to do LVP style. is like family meal. Everybody comes over right now. I'm on a Mexican kick because we watch Chef. So I was like, I want to do something <laughs> Latin. And I have a Mexican cookbook. Uh, so yeah, the wife and I put that together. We had people. That's what we like to do. We say we had people. We had Ed over. That's the extent people. of people. Sometimes we'll have more if, if I can be asked to be more social but yes before before we went to see suicide squad we had a good meal just because it was going to be a long movie because it was a two and a half hour film wasn't it it was a quite a long film actually yes it was so we'll go ahead and start with the brass tacks remember you are listening to what are you guys talking about this is a show for filmmakers about filmmakers you know we kind of go everywhere with this but the general gist is we're going to talk about films from an indie filmmaker perspective because that's what we are and we like to talk about how we see a film how we see story how we see some of the shots things like that generally people enjoy it and if you do please jump along if this is your first time then buckle up because we go all over the place doing this thing but if you are a returning customer a returning fan please 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 share like subscribe all that good stuff we have been getting good traction with people but i always have to plead please we want more of a network we want more people listening to the show so go out there say have you listened to this before show it on there apparently like like i told adam stole ages ago we are like number two or number three in the guy talk category <laughs> i don't know what that means is that like with joe rogan is that guy talk you know what i mean like oh, good Lord. you know i'm sitting right below him right that's that's how it must be you know because me and joe we're just the best on on the radio at the moment right anyways folks if you could like share and subscribe if you want to check out all our stuff it's on www.lovevictoriaproductions.com that is the big website that has all those things for our our what are you guys talking about episodes it has our short films that we've done it has some of ed short films it has all the dirty 20 and carnival lore stuff as well so there is like a ton a ton a ton of content there i always makes me laugh i think we're gonna run out of space someday we never do so you know it's all there and it's all free at the moment because i haven't gotten my with anybody yet and started charging uh like i said about two months ago like that's gonna end at some point because i'm getting pressure now from people who like our organization to make sure that we start monetizing some of it um just so we can show others how good we're doing with it but please check us out at the website if you would rather social media we are on facebook jason Shrow, ed burgos love victoria productions instagram with jazzy j Shrow and nano lvp uh we also have twitter with at mouth love victoria and at ananaski prod linkedin just a company page there kind of interesting but not really and then finally uh occasionally i put stuff up on tiktok under lvp film life so check that out if you want to do there we didn't do a review of Suicide Squad. Because I wish I was we kind of, had. I wanted us to do one. I wanted to be part of the TikTok generation. I know. He's he's a bit miffed with it. But the problem 
otherwise, the videos you can catch on TikTok now are pretty much me walking into a theater with a mask on going, and then me walking out with a kind of a hazy screen because I thought it looked cool going, it was a really good movie, make sure you go watch it. So, you know, I just wasn't sure what I was adding to the mix with it, so I've kind of laid off that for a second. But really, now we're going to move on to first impressions. So, if you if you were on the fence, first First impressions on, do we see this? Is, is this, this is a, a, an HBO Max again, and I'm going to say it like that because later in the podcast, I'm going to lament a little bit, but HBO Max or at home, what would you suggest, Ed? Uh, sorry, or at the movie theaters. Let's start with that. Is this, is this a film that, and let's be as honest as we can be, is this a film that has to be seen in the movie theater? Oh, uh, the trouble is that I hate, I hate saying that, but it's just true sometimes and I think that this might be one of those cases. I mean, you can never be mad at someone for, like, I don't have time. Like, I, you know. Or I want to go to a COVID-infected yeah, whatever. Exactly. Like, you, you, can't, you can't be mad at people for that. But it, it did feel... I, I thought I, I, I... At the end, I thought I wouldn't have enjoyed this as much if I hadn't been at the theater. And, and he saw it without them. It was the one, you know, criticism. I, I won't tell you what cinema world I go to, but this was the cinema world I go to. And they didn't expand it out for the wide. So we were actually watching like a shortened no. version of it. So it looked 16.9 on the screen, but gotcha. it, it didn't look 16.9. It looked full screen yeah, yeah. and it should have been wide, but it was still the wide just in a, in a smaller, right. smaller kind of box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That being said, like... Uh, honestly, I don't know if I'd noticed if you hadn't pointed it out. No, 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 that no. That sounds no. terrible coming from a film director. No, but. no, no. But but I think that's the point. It's I only notice it because I go every week to that, right, to that right, theater. Right. So I know when they've done it, when they haven't done it. And I've also seen in the past couple of years a couple that don't take advantage of the wide. wide. So you know, the, the easiest example I have of that was uh, Rog, Roger, is it Roger, Roger Eggers? Robert Eggers? Ro- Robert Eggers. Yeah. Robert Eggers, The Lighthouse, which he shot. Mm. He wanted it to be really... Like box like, box like, right? Yeah. So it's very thin on the screen. It, in that film, unfortunately, and, and everyone said it about it, it didn't really. I don't feel like it added too much to mm-hmm, that particular mm-hmm. film. It was supposed to make it more claustrophobic, which the film was claustrophobic. But I don't feel like having a shortened frame mm. again. I mean, it's, if, it's if one it of those, brings too much attention to it, then, it's it's the kind yeah. of thing, right? In your head, as a yeah. filmmaker, you're like, ah, see, this is this is why yeah, you need yeah. to hear from us because in our head, we would both be like, yeah, it's a great idea. But then the problem is in practice because no one tested this to see is it like. It reminds me back of. Do you remember when they released The Hobbit and that uh, that special whatever that, that everybody yeah, thought yeah. was going to be great, and then it was like, oh my god, it looks terrible. Yeah. You know, you've never seen it again because I, of that. I really like that trick in the Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, where he Wes Anderson did like different time periods and different aspect ratios. Really? Yeah, which I thought worked really, really okay. well. Well, that's fine. Distinguishing that way. Yeah, it's just yeah. in this one, it was like, in, 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 the, in the filmmaker's head, he must have been, oh, we're going to make it blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But for this one, so do we need to see this in widescreen? Are there shots? And that's getting into why we would recommend seeing it in the theater. Like, we are filmmakers, right? So, yes, we have, I would say, more of an eye for a good shot, a good, you know, James Gunn, no, not shy with a really good shot. And that's what I'm saying. If you want to get the full effect of it, then you need to be in the movie theater because that's what he designed those really good shots for. Well, I can, I can think of two... Should we get into specifics? No, not yet. Okay, Just saying gotcha, gotcha. if we were going to see it in the movie theater, we mm. would suggest it because there are some specific shots which yes, will really 100%. only pan out really well. I mean, I you know, I, I'm sure it would still look lovely, but it just... It just you're doesn't so, have you're the so same... You have to sit on the fence, don't you? 
You just it just doesn't have the same uh, <laughs> you know feeling to it. No, no. I mean that's the thing. Also, it's it's also where the thing. No, we understand that COVID's going on, and, and people might not want to go out. Like if that's your thing, if you're saying I won't go to a movie theater because I'm afraid of getting a disease, like fine. Like that's not. I'm not suggesting you should violate COVID lockdown or whatever's going on in your own country, your own home, or whatever. Or if you just don't feel comfortable with it, like that's not what I'm saying. But there is now starting to be a quite a big rift between. People who stay home to watch stuff and people go to the movie theater. I'm just trying to put the flag down as early as possible to say, no, 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 no. Like, you need to remember the box office is still a cool place to be. Okay, not just for people like us that love film and, like, you know, exude film, but people that, that you know, it's a good experience. So, and this is one, which sadly enough, I you know, weren't a lot of people there when we were there, but it would be a good one to catch. You know what I mean? In yeah, my view. definitely. And I guess, Ed, you were, you were agreeing with that, Yeah, right? 100%. Okay, so first person, go see it in the movie theater if you can. Then... Who is this film for? First impressions. Oh, who's it for? I don't know. I, I mean, I, like, it's it's a very funny comic book movie. Right. But who... who? Okay, let's make it easier then. Who's it not for? I don't know. Why don't you answer your own question? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, he's getting grumpy. I, I wouldn't say that. I would say this is definitely not for kids. Okay, so where the other superhero movies have come through... Um, that's where this one's going to differ a lot. So even teenagers would have a huge difficulty with this one because there's a lot of blood and there's a lot of gore and there's a lot of things going on. So all I would say is just keep that in mind that if you're going to see this for like a superhero flick, it's not your, and you probably knew this going in, but it is very different from your typical superhero flick. This is not a Marvel film. This is not even a DC film that you've seen before. Mm. This is something quite new. That being said, like if you're into superhero movies and you're adult, then this will be great. You mm. know, what I mean? this will just be a step in the right direction. However, it's just, and it brings up, you know, it's just I wouldn't, I wouldn't go see this like you would go see an Avengers film. It's not, it's not the same. Yeah, it's not the same kind of popcorn flick, kind of easy to die. Well, I, I don't know. I, like James Gunn does such a great job in it, like, mm. and and it's very very entertaining. I think as long as you're okay with gore, I think this is just a great film. All sure. Right. So that's that's probably the disclaimers there. Like, if you are someone who doesn't like blood, there's a lot of it in this. There's a lot, a lot more than you would see in a normal superhero movies, which usually sanitize that blood an awful lot. There's also a lot less CGI than you would think in this. Um, you know, with a lot of blood effects and things like that, really just spurring out. Maybe they were a CGI. I shouldn't say that, but they're not going to stand it. This is non-sanitized. This mm. is an R-rated film all the way through. And that's, I guess, my only warning is saying, don't go into this thinking it's going to be another Thor or another, you know, just anything else that you've seen recently like how, this. How, how would you compare it to, um, to like Deadpool? Because that's pretty violent and gory but it's not the same is it no no so deadpool's a really good example though so deadpool what deadpool does and it's funny so deadpool and i'm not a huge deadpool fan i hate to admit that on here because i'm probably gonna get lashed for that but i'm not i'm not a, a big fan of the actor if i'm being honest ryan reynolds is just not one of the guys that tickles me the way he tickles everyone else and that's a shame because he definitely tickles everyone else he just doesn't tickle me and and that's this is one of his tickling films like he just has that sense of humor and that kind of dirtiness to him that that made it really good from that perspective. Suicide Squad has some of that dirty humor, but it has a lot more in buckets of blood. Mm. You know what I mean? Just buckets of blood and lots of people dying. So it's a it's a lot less kind of tongue in cheek as well. 
than than uh, than Deadpool, you know. That's right. Like Deadpool, the R-rated bits are like National Women's Day, where he gets it in the you know the rear from his girl because that's what he would do on National Women's Day. I found it hilarious, but in the same sense was like Jesus, thank God my daughter's not watching this. You know what I mean? Like, so that's what I'm saying. So first impressions with Suicide Squad, I you know God, we could gush, 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 but you know what we're gonna say? We're gonna say go watch it. Um, but be mindful that this is not you know kitty stuff. This is this is a pretty violent. Uh, a pretty, you know, at times despondent and despairing, uh, you know, action flick. And so you just have to kind of roll with that, yeah? Mm. Okay, yeah. cool. All right, well, that's first impressions. Uh, let's go to what did we watch this week? Oh, uh, what did I watch this week? Oh, I caught up with um, Schmigadoon, which, oh, it's so good. It's just so funny. So what are some of the things that are really, really, you know, doing it for you with Schmigadoon? Um, I, I just, I, I think I, I don't often acknowledge my love for musicals, uh, or at least not often enough as I do. I just absolutely love them. Mm-hmm. And this film like is clearly made by people. Oh, sorry. This, this TV series is clearly made by people who also love it. And also Barry Sonnenfeld is directing like a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's directed a bunch of stuff and, and he's, he's very clearly a, a good set piece director, you know, with the, with the musicals. And with some like of that. Barry's other stuff. Um, I want to say Men in Black. Okay. Um, and I want to say not um, Moulin Rouge, but I think like, you know, one of these modern musicals. Okay, one of the ones that was that redone. Come out in, in the past, like, you know, 15, 15, 20 years, something like that. Okay. Right. Um, but yeah, and I love Michael Keegan Key from Key and Peele. I think he's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, and the main actress in that as well is also really, really good and really like down to earth, uh, you know, like, again, I, I, I think I've been impressed by a lot of stuff that we've watched recently where they don't make the easy cliched character, you know, I think of Ted Lasso with Rebecca you know. Yeah, and I think I think that's part of the allure of Schmigadoon is the, the town is cliché. It's supposed to be right. cliché. And then and then you have kind of the um you know the two characters which are and I think this will eventually lead to what this whole thing's all about as to yeah, how they you, you you were saying you weren't sure like you you had an idea oh this is definitely going in this direction and now you're like oh I'm yeah, not what, sure. The like... premise originally was really simple, right? <laughs> mm. It was like, you know, a couple's thing and they're mm. supposed to be trying to get together, but mm. then they go in a bunch, you know, you have to span this out over a couple episodes. So then it goes in a, in a bunch of different directions and you know, what was really interesting in this one, the partic- this particular episode was the way that um, you know, the the, the love interest they're moving into are kind of not what they seem all of a sudden. Mm. And that was a really big kind yeah. of play. So there's something going on underneath it. I just haven't sniffed it out yet. Mm. I will say it was the first Schmigadoon where there was a misfire for me. <gasps> really? And it's going to be a misfire from someone big. That rap that she did oh, was terrible. Yes. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Now, the rest of the song yeah, was amazing. Was yeah. Like, was really good. And yeah. actually, when I heard it a second time in the credits, I was like... It works better yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, when yeah. she did it on stage or, or yeah, on, yeah, on like screen, on, yeah, like yeah. she just doesn't have the chops. Yeah. Like she's not, 
like, listen, this isn't me being racist, no. but you have to have a certain cadence yeah, yeah. to perform rap correctly. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, there's, it's, that, it's there's poetry, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. and I just didn't feel it. Like, don't get me wrong, that just means I didn't groove with it. I'm sure everyone else was like, fine. No, no, I, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. It was agree. the first time, because actually, and it's only because that the, the, the simple truth of the matter is that's their set pieces. That is everything are these songs mm. that they're doing. And I was like, wow, that she she's clearly had a lot to say about it. But then mm. I was like, they should have checked it more, like tested that more because yeah. it, it falls off just for the minute. And then it comes back and mm. it's fine. But yeah, yeah, for yeah. that brief second, I was like, ooh, yeah. someone's giving her a I, long leash on this I one. did. I did notice that whilst I was watching, I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, for sure. But but what blew me away was at the end of that episode. Wow, well, yeah, this... it Director here, you oh. know, he just saw De Palma and all of a sudden it was like, well, here Beautiful we go. Beautiful split screen. Why don't more people do that? I think it. I think it's, again, it, it's it's an allusion to, to the old uh, musicals and stuff like that. But I, okay. I, I love the modern twist of it. Like, yes, you're, sh- you're paralleling these two shots, this dance number, this song, but they cross into each other's worlds yeah. at the end. Right, right. And that's what I that's what blew me away and I literally started tearing up. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Beautiful. Like the only person I know that does that, like in film, is Brian De Palma. That's what he's known for. Yeah. And then of course Tarantino it doesn't mimic that he steals it. Mm. You know what I mean? In, in Kill Bill, you know, number one where where you've got that's that awesome scene with, you know, Uma in the hospital and then um Oh God, Daryl Hannah. Yes, that great in. intro. Yeah, so that, yeah, yeah, that was that's probably the best use I've ever seen of mm-hmm. a split screen outside of some of the stuff that the Palma did in in earlier '80s films. Mm. So, but yeah, watch that this week. That's for my end of things. QT eight guys, it's on Prime Video. Uh, listen, I never knew how much of a fan of Quentin Tarantino I was. I'm really not, to be honest. Like I have avoided his films at times because mm. I'm like I think he's too much hype. But then I yeah. watched this film about it. With, it's basically a film made by his friends. And when I was explaining to Ed, and sorry, Quentin, because I, I I'm sure they're all telling the truth on this one. But it also seems to be being made as kind of a a way to to explain away the the Harvey Weinstein of right. stuff. You know as in, I mean? no, it wasn't his fault. Yeah, it just had a lot of scenes like that. And it described, it had a few where we were talking about Harvey and it was like, yeah, he was really scary. So, yeah. so you know what I mean? It was just one of those things that I felt like, I think that's what was the impetus for QT8, the first eight. But that being said, it really breaks down, A, why Quentin Tarantino is something to, to look at. You know, something, why he's in the upper echelons of directors. And, you know, the scary thing is when you look at this kind of stuff, you know, they talk about him walking into a room with Scorsese, Cameron, you know, everybody at Cannes when he was coming out, I believe, with Reservoir Dogs. Mm. And then he controls the conversation. And that's the only scary thing I will tell you when it comes to, like, researching your favorite directors because I've encountered this many a time. And the problem is these guys do appear godlike on page. And so I'm like, sometimes I read it and sometimes I have to put it away because I am not godlike and I am very human. And so the idea of me moving to those upper echelons some days, like, that's never going to happen for me. <laughs> and so, you, you know, that's the only thing I would say is like, take it with a grain of salt. He is, you know, a cinematic genius and, and his ex- friends explain, I think, really well why. Mm. You know, and that's the part where you, you got to give props where props are due, right? You know, a mm. guy that knows his stuff knows what he's doing and there's a reason for that you know he has a background and all of that that being said like you don't have to be 
Quentin Tarantino, okay? Plenty of people make films and they're not Quentin Tarantino. And plenty of people make good films and they're not Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that's the only thing I, I would warn because I was watching it. And you have to remember, I'm, at the same time, I'm writing a screenplay right now and it does, all of a sudden you're like, oh, my screenplay is not, not godlike. It's, yeah. it's good, but it's not godlike yet. Mm. <laughs> but you see, I, I think that that's kind of the problem with Quentin. Like, God bless him. Amazing filmmaker. I think... In in our lifetime, maybe one of the most influential filmmakers around. That's what I mean, and and that, but because but, but for but my problem with him stems from the fact that he's reached a point in his career where no one's willing to say no to him, mm-hmm. and I know that this. Hopefully, this isn't too controversial, but Harvey Weinstein was good for Quentin's career, in the sense that he like tore into him he not not that he belittled him and stuff like that but he he put pressure on him and i think that made him a better filmmaker now obviously you know harvey is scum of the earth and all that uh and i i am super interested to see this documentary because i it would be very interesting to see him like address it. Yeah, and and, and it's prompted me to watch like like I've never and Ed's gonna get really mad at this because we've no, had conversations I, I, about this movie. I've never seen Jackie Brown. That's dude. Like I, I totally want to see Jackie Brown now because of this documentary that, that yeah, set yeah. out what it was, and I was like, ah, oh, that looks like a great film. It's one of my it's one of my favorite. Quentin no, Tarantino Sam Jackson films. says it's yeah. the best one. He's yeah. like, I don't care what you say, it's his best film. Yeah, Sam Jackson's gonna say that. <laughs> uh, hey man, we might need him in one of our films. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. agree with Sam Jackson, would you? I mean, I do. <laughs> About everything. Uh, everything, Tim. We love you. We love you, you Sam. Know, um, but Mace Windu lives. Um, <laughs> but, uh, like, I, I do think... And sorry, just, just on your point of, like, you'll, you'll get mad at me. I never... It's actually one of my pet peeves when, when people say, Oh, my God, you've never seen that film? Oh, my God, what's wrong with you? Like, I, it always no, annoys it's, the it's, it's more because you're my best friend, so you'll know, like, at times yeah. we will be in a crowd of people and I will talk <laughs> as if like, I yeah, know I've Foxy, you know, uh, yeah, and I've seen, I've seen that we've film all done that. times. And in fact, like, I am, I'm jealous whenever I meet someone who hasn't seen a great film because I always think, oh, you're going to get to experience that, that for the first time. time. Yeah, so, so I, that's, that's why I had to stop the documentary because... Mm. I realized there were so many gaps in, in the stuff I'd seen from him that I've only actually, you know, the films I have seen are Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. I saw Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Kill Bill 1 and 2, obviously. Like, those are my favorites of his. Yeah. Kill Bill 1 being one of my all-time favorite films. Yeah. Um, and then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I watched wow. 20 minutes or 30 minutes of Django Unchanged when it was okay. on Netflix, but then yeah. I remember falling asleep to it because I probably... I, I didn't like it. Um, and that's, Inglor- Inglorious Bastards? So, that's what I was about to tell you. So okay. that's the other thing I've started to watch this week because mm-hmm. it's it's the first... Here's, here's And I'm just going back to your comments about him needing more of a, a, a Right, a being partner. self-indulgent. And, and, yeah. and Inglorious Bastards, to me, is the ultimate example of that because it's a really really self-indulgent yeah. film 100% and yet there's a great film in there, no it right? is there's like it's, like it's amazing 90% like, of that film is incredible it's incredible it's just you know what I'm going to say it's too long like it's two and a half hours I literally have been watching it in parts and like the first part was great but it got ruined by the documentary because it told me right. what was really going on so they panned to that last scene of it and I was like mm. oh I already knew about yeah, that yeah. but had that not been another problem would have been that that scene was too long because I would have gotten to that point at least 20 minutes quicker that yeah. they, they were downstairs you know what I mean mm. and and it's 
Still, the, though, that scene. I mean, you're talking about the the interrogation, the, the opening scene. Yeah. I've, I've, got and then, to, I've and got, I, personally, I've got to disagree with you. I mean, that scene to me is like the perfect length. <laughs> okay, you think it's good to drag I, it out that I, way then? I, I think so for for that opening scene. But I agree with you that the film is too. It's long. just it was like it was a half hour in it, and like like we haven't even really got through Act One yet, and I'm a half hour in, <laughs> and I'm like, wow, man, like how long do you expect yeah. me? And just all I try to say is like, yeah, picture you're in a movie theater, right? And you're yeah. like, oh. You know what I mean? It was just because then we move on to something completely different in, in chapter because he does it in chapters. That's how he likes mm. to do his movies. You know, they, they openly said in the documentary he bases them on like novels he writes in his head that he adapts into screenplays. Mm. This came across as a novel that hadn't mm. really been adapted so much. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, just, it was just interesting to me. I'm now about midway through Glorious Bastards. I think I stopped at the halfway point. I mean, I, like you said, the story, when you get to the core of the story of what's going on here, you know, the... The um, you know the guy who's coming back now, and he's you know picked the girl who who he later you know he sent running because he killed the rest of her family. Like it all is perfect. Like that is there's great, a great film there, yeah. great story. Mm. It's just so self indulgent. <laughs> you know what I mean? See, I I hate to say this because it sounds like oh yeah, I like their early albums. You know that typical thing, but I I really do like his early stuff. For me, is like amazing. No, and I, I think it's just like you said. The difference here, I would say, is that it just needs some tailoring. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like Jack Rabbit Slims, right? They built that. They mm. built that for Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Huge set, completely done up. But it actually only takes up what twenty minutes of the film. Mm. Whereas I think, and, and and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Quentin. But you know, I think if Quentin had his way. Like, it would have been, like, an hour-long scene in Jack Rabbit's Slims. <laughs> yeah. which, which would have been cool. Like, there's not... Not to say that wouldn't have been absolutely right. awesome. It's just it only needed 20 minutes in the film. So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, on the no, flip I'm side, not. you get to learn cool things like like Zoe, who is the, the stunt double for just about everything that he does. Like, mm-hmm. he finally put her in a film when he put her in Death Proof. Death Proof I never yeah. knew that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, stuff like that. I, I loved um, True Romance, which he obviously... He wrote... I don't know if you've seen that with uh, Christian Slater. Oh, yeah, Slater well, of course. And... Da- Damon, if you ever listen to that, it's like Damon Rickard's yeah. like favorite movie. It's a great film. Nets, you know what I mean? They love um, that film. Uh, Val Kilmer as, as Elvis is just... You like that, uh, It's one of my favorite things ever. Um, and Four Rooms is actually another one that I really, really like. Does he do a segment for that? Yeah, he does a segment. Him, Robert Rodriguez, and, and a couple of others. Okay. And it's Tim Roth playing like this bellhop. Yeah. Who's going between these like weird things on a, on a New Year's Eve and stuff. Really, and one of, really one of them thing. has Madonna. That's what I yeah. always remembered about Four Rooms. It was yeah. another... She, she should have acted in more. I always liked her as an actress. Oh, oh, I don't know, man. What was that one that she was in that Guy Ritchie directed... Well, that was her husband at the time, yeah. wasn't it? That, that's the problem. Could you imagine me directing my wife? Like, well, that would be an entire... Listen to him just get laugh a bit harder, because that would be an entirely different set if I was directing my wife. That would be a It'd be, be more like movie. One Shot of the Dead. You remember that one? That's, that was the closest thing. I was like, that would be Becky. She would come in and be like, I'm doing it this way! Like, okay. Right. So, at any rate, that's what I watched. Now I'm catching up on Quentin Tarantino films. And like, like I said, he's great. He's another one to study, but just don't think you have to be him. The only thing that I would prick is is we were talking about true romance and natural born killers. Like this is what he had to sell. He couldn't make those films because he couldn't get anyone a to back him to make them, and he needed money desperately. Mm. He's living on a guy's couch, so that's the parts you should listen to. Yeah. Before he was a god, he was a normal man, just like I used to work at a video store and couldn't you know get two sticks to put together. That's the part that really made me smile mm. because it's like okay, because that's where we're all at at the moment. Yeah. So. <laughs> it humanizes him. 
It just yeah. does, yeah. I mean, fair dues, you get your big break and you move from there. They talked about Reservoir Dogs. They showed his Elvis impersonation scene from the girl, Golden Girls. That's how he gets 20 grand, apparently, in residuals so that he can That's go hard, and make yeah. Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, cheers to you, man. That was just a great story. Oh, my God. That's the stuff I love hearing because it's like, okay, it'll be all right. Everything will be fine. <laughs> All right, so that's what I watched this week, but let's move on. Shall we move on to Suicide yeah, Squad? Let's do it. All right, what was the best part of Suicide Squad? Hands down, Shark King. Shark or King Shark. King. Why? <laughs> um, so I think you made, a, you made a very good point about it. You were like, yeah, he's, he's the Groot. Yes. And, and this is not to, to say that, you know, James Gunn, in every film that he's ever going to make, he's going to have a character like this, but... It was definitely the character that, at first, I was like, "Oh, well, this is going to be annoying," and completely the opposite. He becomes so endearing, and and fun and funny. He's a, he's a giant shark that eats people, but yeah. he's surprisingly and, and cute. And he does so several times. Several times, but he's really cute. Yeah. You're like, oh, adorable. he's so adorable. adorable. Don't eat those people, you bad shark. <laughs> and I think, uh, you know, we've, we've been talking a little bit about this, about why, like, for example, Rick and Morty isn't working so much for me anymore. Mm. Um, and... <laughs> this sounds like something I tell my doctor. I just, I just can't. It's not working for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yet, Ted Lasso, uh, you know, is really, really working for us at the moment. And I think it's that like cynicism that that we kind of don't really want to face so much right now. You know, we want like happy stories heartwarming that's stories that's right because I had a real go I was telling you over the phone like I, I after I saw this film I saw, went and started reading the reviews because we were going to do this podcast I want to make sure I kind of have an idea of what the world thinks of the film and we'll talk about money because that's that's really where they've, they've painted this one badly is on the money side but Polygon had an item and I do read Polygon it, Polygon is one of those wonderful website slash e-magazines that I hate I hate it because I've been reading it since it was a video game magazine, mm. and now they've expanded to everything else because they had to, because everybody had to, to make sure they could still make business. But they like to make controversial points deliberately, so right. I'll click on it. Right. And they know click to, they know to pick a writer who's going to take a, a wild position, and and they the problem is people who do this in 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 in, in the press think it's clever. Like no, you know, New York Times has been doing this. For ages. Like, the New Yorker gets in trouble for this. Like, it's not like magazines haven't been doing this. It's just Polygon wrote this article about Suicide Squad saying it was too tame. And that it, it what? kind of... Well, no, it said it started out brilliantly. It really... It, it was adequate, is what they said. And that he mm. does what James Gunn needed to do. It took Suicide Squad to a new place. And we'll talk about that as well as to what the old Suicide Squad was and what the new one is. But then it talked about the ending, which we're in spoiler territory, so we're going to jump straight to it. And it said, like, the ending was very traditional, very comic booky, And that goes back to, like, Ed's comments, like, I'm sorry, but I don't see how nowadays coming out of a, a two-year pandemic that isn't really over for everybody yet, you want to make a nihilistic, mm. awful ending. Mm. They better be thinking something clever for Doom because, mm, yeah, you know, that has a dark, dark-ish dark ending. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it, it does. It's not as bad as it could be, but... They really need to make that more uplifting than it is in the book. Otherwise, people are going to be freaked the fuck out. 
So that's what I mean. Like, it's just judging your audience. And so while Polygon, like I love getting into a, 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 you know, a verbal war with you over, over my podcast, but while I agree it was tamer at the end, it didn't break the story. Like the story wasn't, it, we didn't have to pull some weird angles to get that to happen. It, it made sense the way it pulled off. Mm. And yeah, it worked. Like it, it's one of those things. And it was what I wanted. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying I would have been horrified at a bad ending, you know, where they mm. just, everybody gets blown up or something like that. But yeah. in the same sense, like I didn't want that. Yeah, hundred percent. And and it's funny because if there's one thing about this film, and I really enjoyed it, and I was thinking about it whilst whilst we were in the theater, but it starts off with fairly like small stakes, like you know it's a, it's a mission. It feels like a like a small thing, and it slowly kind of gets bigger and bigger and bigger, you know. Mm. And by the end of it, they are kind of kind of saving the world i mean it's it's not necessarily the world it's i know it's a city but like they kept upping the stakes and i was super impressed by 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 that element i think tame is definitely not how I. yeah i mean it's, it's the kind of thing that like you know and there are different kind of stakes so where i would agree with you i would say in the story that the stakes are built the way you're supposed to build a story you know if you're if you're writing an arc a story arc you're never supposed to give the big part of the arc at the beginning why? Because who wants to sit and watch the rest of it if you already know, you know, how big this is going to be? So you don't fight the galactic demon or whatever it is at the beginning. You have to fight it at the end. Um, but what they did do at the beginning, Ed, which which did show at least stakes for the characters, was kill off yes. the entire original right. group. Yeah. And I thought that was important because that says what the stakes could be. Right. But I agree with you. They did that. And it was interesting because they do it. Kind of pissed you off a little bit because I was like, well, what was the point of that? Yeah. And then they roll it back really quickly. And all of a sudden they're like, now here's the proper story that you need to yeah. hear. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and that was all right for me. I was like, okay, all right. You're going to tell me what's really going yeah. on here. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, I, and I, I, I love James Gunn's just approach to things. I think about the opening to Guardians 2 and that brilliant like battle they have with an intergalactic demon right at the beginning, you know? Yes. But, you you don't even focus on it. You focus on Groot, on Baby Groot he's as dancing. he's dancing around yeah, and stuff. Right, you know? right. Which now, is one of my all time favorite openings to the film. Oh, I know, Mr. Blue Sky. Please tell us why. <laughs> you have to stay with us all. At any rate, like yeah, I just it's the kind of thing with James Gunn that he does really, really well. So I think you know they always tell you when you're writing these things that you have to have an opening statement. You know what I mean? You have to have in your first ten pages something that's going to jump up and literally smack the people at the screen. You know what I mean? Because that's how hard it is to get a film made these days. This is a good example of how James Gunn does that every single time. So watch the two Guardians films and watch this. In the first 10 minutes, he sets out what he wants to do. And in this case, he was under a lot of pressure because um, this is The Suicide Squad. You have the 2016 film, which was Suicide Squad, which was generally panned. And a lot of reason it was panned, if, you know, I, I don't know how much people read the comic books. I hadn't read the comic books that much, but I did know that in the comics, lots of people died. You know what I mean? The whole point with Suicide Squad was these are very, dis you know, expendable people because they're villains and no one likes them and it's better off that they're dead anyway. So who cares? And that definitely filters into James's vision, but he wanted to address that, I think, right from the start because the 2016 film didn't really kill anybody. That was the thing that kind of baffled everyone. It was supposed to be these villains, but they end up being kind of heroes because everybody lives in the end. James definitely changes the, the play on that one. It says, no, 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 these aren't heroes. These are these are these are villains. And they're gonna do some heroic stuff, but 
they're villains. And so he sets that off, I think, really early to make sure we understand that by first, you know, your opening's image oh. is the the bird dying yes. with, with his buddy. Um, Can we talk about the 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 turning shot? In yeah, the, yeah, in yeah please reflection. do. Oh my god. Both you and I like looked at each other and we were like, ah! So you mean that you're talking about the fight that he has when... when... No, 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 no. So right uh, right in the introduction with Michael Rooker, yeah, who, Michael Rooker. Who, who, who was Yondu in, in Guardians of the Galaxy and he plays a small role here, um, small but significant, uh, He, you first see him in the reflection of like a puddle in the prison oh, yard. that's right, right, that's right. And... And so there's there's a little bit of a pull out, and then it starts to like turn, and it does that amazing kind of three sixty on itself, <laughs> which you and know his eyebrows go way up, and you know he's uh, he's loving. When we saw it. like uh, like Black Panther, it's one of my favorite shots in Black Panther. Right, you know? right. Uh, but this was just such a great introduction, and then you have him killing the bird and stuff, which. Is a little bit like anti save the cat, isn't it? Or, or like uh, that's right. You know? So that's that's really that's what I mean. Like James Gunn is using very basic visuals to establish his characters, and so there, that's that's exactly what I was talking about. Normally, you would do a save the cat, and save the cat is to tell the person this is a hero and you like him. He's mm. really likable. You yeah. like him so much because look, he just saved the cat, and you're like, yeah, you saved the cat. So now, when you get him to do something, you'll be with him, and yeah. you want you want him to succeed. This one, it was just the opposite. Like, see how he killed that beautiful bird with mm, one shot? A piece of shit. Yeah, piece of shit. Yeah. And then they had that, the best was Weasel, who is like, oh. killed, killed 27 children. Like, I hope they kill that fucker. <laughs> so unsettling. So weird and unsettling. Yeah, no, that, that was, that was, that was, there was so many moments of that, though. Mm. You had Pete Davidson come in as, as, I don't even remember the character's name, because yeah, his face yeah, it was gets like blown Black, off. Black Knight or something like that? Something like that. And his face gets blown off in the first. 20 seconds I was like well I guess we're not getting any jokes from him today yeah. somebody call Ariana Grande you know <laughs> yeah 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 uh, you also had uh, Captain Boomerang who's one of the only ones from from the from, original from the I original. think it was the same actor it was, was it 100% yeah. the same actor yeah. and I, I love see that's another anti-save the cat moment because when you first see him he's cleaning shit off his boot with his boomerang mm-hmm. and I don't know why that made me hate him immediately I was like oh what a, what a dirty <laughs> disgusting motherfucker like that's gross uh, and then Nathan Fillion as the detachable kid TDK! TDK! Yeah. TDK. Oh, oh I'm, I'm reliving this scene. Now, this is the best part about James Gunn's movie. That particular scene probably lasts 15 minutes. And then most of those characters you never see again. And it's just one of those things you want to go back to it. You're like, oh, I want to see that scene again so I can catch all the characters. <laughs> yeah, definitely. 100%. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, you, yeah. almost want to, you almost want, like, another Suicide Squad about those guys. Yeah. To be like, well, what the would they... Squad. Yeah. What, what, yeah, what would they have done? You know, had they, had they yeah. succeeded? Javelin, so. who has that really funny kind of uh, interaction with Harley Quinn. I think I think ha- Harley Quinn is I, massive props to Margot Robbie because uh, again, another character that I think could very easily get annoying, you know? But she just does something I don't know, her, her, her Brooklyn accent or 
something about her that makes her. Which I always love because because Margot Robbie, even though you do sound for like, I mean, I said you were the you were the what was it the the doll of Bay Ridge, which my mother is the doll of Bay Ridge. Thank you very much. She she won prom <laughs> queen and she is from Bay Ridge, but you sounded just like Brooklyn and, yeah, and, and Harley Quinn. Obviously, that's that's the accent that's yeah, picked yeah. up with that. I bet it's so she's got that. Funny she's gag. from Western Australia, I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's like hardcore <laughs> Aussie. But there's that great gag. Oh, I love accents. We, you know, none of us have accents in America. You know, like, <laughs> I thought it was really funny. Well, but yeah, the whole thing with her and the javelin. Yeah, I mean... There's, there's which two, paid off in the end, by the way. There's two... Well, and, and, and didn't I tell you? It was you, really yeah, weird. Yeah, you, you, know, you, were, you were like, oh, that's, in, that's, in, that's, in, that's in, important. Yeah, and I was in, like, what? I'm really? in story mode right yeah. now, right? So the weird thing about when you're story writing is that you realize that nothing in a film is random whatsoever. Most people won't, you know what I mean? You can go through it, you you pick up things, and you think, oh, that's there for, you know, that, that, or whatever. But this javelin, like, that was his thing, and it was a pretty stupid superpower. So I was like, that has to be he there for something. He is a javelin. Exactly. That has to be there for some sort of reason. And then she picks it up, and it was like, Ah, but it, it, like this is literally in the first 10 15 minutes and doesn't pay off till and like doesn't pay off till the last two five hours 15 you yeah, know what I mean yeah, 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 yeah. so so yeah I mean that's that's part of guns beauty you know what he does well when it comes to, to crafting his, his stories it just kind of came there but let's talk a bit about that with with Harley Quinn I mean Harley Quinn's an interesting character because you do you know that that like Harley Quinn was never part of the original Batman Empire. She she came out of an animation. Didn't That's she? right. So and if you ever want to come to the house, I still have them. I'll never get rid of them because mm. they were my favorite cartoons when I was a kid. Mm. But the Batman the animated series, mm. one of the greatest Le- animated legendary. series ever yeah, right. made, ever made. Part of it was because guys, because I know all about that. But part of the reason that was a legendary series is because it was one of the first animations where they didn't do it on white paper. They animated that on black paper, and that's why I just think like that made it so much better. And I can show you that if you watch the behind the scenes on the DVD, they'll show you that everything was drawn. Paul Dini's design are drawn onto black backgrounds, not white backgrounds. But Harley Quinn comes about, I think it's episode six or seven that she first appears. And she was just, you know, Joker's girlfriend at the time. Hmm. And it's just expanded. They put her into the comic and people liked her in that. And then she started appearing, you know, outside of that. And, and I think now you've had this wedding of Margot Robbie with the character, and I, you know I just don't know where that that'll split off. Do you think, and and this is just for the sake of 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 confirming, I think, but do you think that she overpowered with with the character, or because she is the, the 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 fear I had going in, Ed, was that she's a centerpiece, right? right. She's she's yeah, Margot she's Robbie. Star. She's yeah. the star, and it, and it... I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think she over like. She... Cause I'm 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 trying to think. I think she definitely had some some great moments, you know. Um, thinking about like when she's running, shooting the guns, and killing all those people, but everything's flowers and like animated birds and stuff like that. Oh yeah, it was so cool. It um, was so cool. But but you know, I also think about John Cena. I think about Idris Elba. I think about Joel Kinnaman. Uh, you know, all of them kind of having... It, it felt like an ensemble piece. Yeah, do you think it was screen time, maybe? Another one where they, they cut it properly so that, like, yeah, Margot it, didn't it, have too many scenes and then John doesn't have too many scenes and Idris... Idris Elba definitely has. He's the protagonist, yeah, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, he is 100% the protagonist. But, again, not too much screen time. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, no. In the first Suicide Squad, for example, Will Smith got too much screen time. A little bit, yeah. A yeah. little bit before for, for little purpose. Yeah. The thing with Idris Elba that's interesting is he doesn't he gets a little more screen time than everybody else, 
But that's because obviously, you know, this is something that, that happened when I was writing the screenplay. My our, our our other producer James mentioned this to me. Like, you can't write a screenplay without having someone who drive a character that drives it through. And God, if you read what I'm reading now, Sid Field's screenplay, like that's everything to Sid Field is that you have to have a central character, a central character that can take it through. So even an ensemble cast, you know, think Ocean's Eleven, you still have George Clooney or Brad Pitt. Pick one. Mm. It's George Clooney who's mm. the the central character. But this time, Idris Elba is the central central character. And I was actually really impressed that even though you have this central character that's going to have the the plot payoff at the end, so he's the one that's going to have the catharsis and the change of heart, and it's going to become the one. He doesn't actually have that much screen time. Like he's no, not, no, not necessarily not too much. Yeah. You know, there all the time. They did pan to, to Margot Robbie's character for certain side scenes, for like B stories and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, yeah, it was impressive. It was really impressive that way. Yeah, for sure. So, other favorite shots, director man? Um, I'm thinking about. There's a moment where. Is, is it in this film? I think it was. They have a fight and it's all in the reflection of... That's the one I thought you were talking about. So yeah, John Cena's helmet because yeah, he plays... Yeah. What's, what's that? The Peacemaker. Peacemaker, mm-hmm. which is a hilarious character that just kicks the... <laughs> it is it is quintessentially like the dark side of America to me. Yeah, it's yeah. like... Because I, I... You know, this is... You, when you grow up with people with lots of guns, this is what they talk about. Like, I gotta protect myself. Like, yeah, from yeah. fucking who? You know what I mean? You're the one with the gun. But that's what I mean. Like that, 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 you know, they embodied that kind of mentality to me of being like, we got to protect ourselves. Like, you know, it's like by killing other people. Yeah. By scaring everyone else. (laughs) But yeah, he has a fight with, it's, it's the big fight for the, uh, the data information, isn't it? I think you're right. I think it um, is against Bloodsport, against uh, Idris Elba. Yeah. No, 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 not Idris Elba. The other, the other guy he kills, the guy he kills, the guy who's not a superhero, but just part of the, the guy who leads squad A. Oh, Joel Kinnaman, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I, Rick, that, Rick Flagg. The non... is is he's, he's like a non-superhero, right? He's just... Yeah, like, he's just like... He's the military he's guy. military he's guy. He's and their, I, like, uh, babysitter or whatever. You know, originally... And, and that's why, like, it was cool because then you have the... God, I haven't even thought of how that reflects on the fact that he dies. After yeah, that, yeah, right? yeah, So you yeah, have yeah. the fight in the helmet, mm-hmm. and then immediately after that, he's dead. Yeah. And so it's Bold, like, right? Bold. Bold and, and kind Again, of, though, it's, it's what you said about, like... But that's kind of the point of, of the Suicide Squad, right? Yeah, it's, it's almost... These guys have to die. It's, it's almost poetry because you're saying, you know, if this guy could see himself in the reflection of the mirror that he just killed this other guy, would he still be, mm. you know, the protector or whatever his name the is? Peacemaker, the, the, the peacemaker. peacemaker. Who has like a dove as a symbol and really early on he gets splattered in blood. Which uh, I love the symbolism. Now, John Cena, I want to know: Were you stuffing those tidy whities man? Because oh. your dong looks massive, Hello. massive in that in that scene. I just had to bring that up. Ed, you Joker know, donkey. Yeah. No, I mean I'm not kidding, man. It was like it was like a, it was a trousers. We snake. all noticed. We, we, all, we noticed. all noticed. But that's what I meant. I was like, wait, but wait, but John, are you really tight, built like that? The tidy white, douchey, broy, tight in the tidy white. Hey, that's racist. I know that was one. <laughs> great line. So many, and that's you know that's another reason we love this one is the the dialogue, and that's something you know they tell me you just you can't learn. You just got to kind of have it or not have it, or you have to watch enough films that it, it bleeds out your ears. But some some people are very good at it. James Gunn's dialogue is yeah. always spot on. Yeah. So I guess you know the way they've taught me to learn dialogue is by reading other people's dialogue. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So read the screenplay for this one. This mm. one, the, the, he really times it well. The jokes are on point, and everybody seems to kind of have a, a, a good laugh at everyone else's expense throughout the whole. The thing. one guy that I thought was a little bit wasted was uh, Peter Capaldi. 
who played um, the the scientist guy. The thinker? The thinker, is that? Yeah, that's Absolutely. right, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I, I was just thinking, they did a Marvel with that villain. Yeah. Marvel villains are always like these one-dimensional, no one really cares, that's how Apart he comes... Apart from Killmonger. God bless Killmonger. Yeah, God bless Killmonger. But, in, in, in possibly... Um, Oh, Ragnar- the series of those films. Remember we talked about that in the MCU. There's a there's like three films that come in a row right, all right, of right. a sudden, and and Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's know. there's a few there's a few examples that stand out as. But you're right. Usually they're a little bit throw. It was weird. It was like three in a row. Spider Man, and then Thor Ragnarok, which is uh, Kate Blanchett, and then um and then we had uh, we just said his name and I can't remember now. Um, the other one you were from Killmonger. Killmonger, yeah. And so like and Michael B. Jordan. So I mean, Loki was a pretty good bad guy. But, I think but, so. You know, but, again, but, but, but you're right though. It is it is more uh, common for for there to be at least one pretty disposable bad guy, and and the thinker felt a little bit like that. But I gotta say, for me, it was a really nice surprise that they went as wacky as they did. Well, explain that. Yeah, let me hear what you mean. So, like, I. I don't know virtually anything about the comics. You had that's to basically a, that's explain, no, that's okay. it, explain that's okay. it to me. But, um, so what, one of the, I don't know if it's the MacGuffin, but it's one, one of the central things is Starro, right? Is this, like, alien starfish creature. And I love it, because that, that is about as 80s, because I was a big yeah. fan of DC in the 80s. Yeah. The 80s and 90s, obviously. Like, early 90s, because I was a kid when I read all this. And that is, Starro is, like, Epitomizes to me yeah. 80s DC. Yeah, yeah like it, it just it was feels, cheesy. It, it was ridiculous, but, but it was to awesome it, to see it like in live action. And and he he basically expels little versions of himself that go like face huggers onto people's faces, and he like mentally controls them. Which again was a plot line in a, in a Rick and Morty episode. Yeah, no, it looks like, and it looks like something out of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's the other place I thought of it. Yeah, there is a Rick and Morty where there's specifically, specifically they go on that like the opening things, scene. Yeah. They go on that planet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and the, the, the dead ones are hanging off their face, and they have to like pretend. But it was so good, and then they showed what happens when like you peel one away, and it, like it's it's seeing that wackiness. It's like, do you know what? Okay, this is what I would compare it to. Have you ever seen those pictures? There's some um, like um, artist who gets his son to draw like robots and animals and things for him, and then he like tries to. Like you know, make them into beautiful drawings and stuff. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. And that for me is is kind of what this was. It was taking a really kind of wacky and silly thing, but executing it just right, you know, and making it look amazing. Yeah, and, and, and it had to be just right because because that's the interesting thing is the things you you I think were sanitized by that were just the. I mean, you walk into this room where they're conducting experiments with this thing. Though, yeah, it gets dark. And that's grim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't as grim as it could be because you're already still kind of in happy mode because of the Suicide Squad. This is the thing the film did really well with playing with is showing you some really awful things but making you laugh about them. Yeah. And I hate to say that because it's like, you know... Honestly, you probably shouldn't be that way and see awful things and laugh about them. But sometimes, I mean, that's 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 the catharsis that film can give you. Right? I mean, maybe that's what we're going through now, post COVID. You know, is laughing at you the need, misery. You need to laugh at the misery, hundred percent. Um, but yeah, and, and and you know, the wackiness is probably like peak with with regards to Starro. But you've also got Polka Dot Man. That's pretty out there. And also, once you see, that was another great example. Yeah, so yeah. Starro, again, especially when he does like the titles, he does these yeah. huge titles and it, you know, oh my God, we've got a fucking kaiju on our hands yeah, here. Yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. love it. I've just got done watching 
all of those films, which I love, by the way. If yeah, you yeah. haven't seen the Godzilla new series, just watch it. It's fun. It's, yeah. it's worth a watch, I would say. Um, but then, yeah, Polka Dot Man was the same way because all you really know in the beginning is about... You don't even see his ability first. And so everyone laughs at it. And you're mm-hmm. like, that does sound pretty weird. Yeah. Um, and, and then his costume's pretty out there. Yeah. And then they like get more into it. And you're like, it gets dark when, when really you, When you fast. see him like deal when, with people and stuff. Deal with his own problems with it. Deals with other people with oh, it. Then, then like how he became yeah. that way. Like his mother. It's all like really that, dark. Yeah. That uh, like, dark and funny though, because yeah, the, yeah, the, the mother thing gets either, first. They give you the origin story and then it gets really dark. And then he sees his mother everywhere and you can't stop laughing. <laughs> it's hilarious. Cause it's ridiculous. And props to the actress for like pulling off, you know, like 30 different roles in one movie. That must be a record. I think, <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah. And, and then, uh, rat, rat catcher two, um, was my favorite character yeah and and again i when she first introduced i was like oh okay i feel like this is gonna get dull you know i don't, I don't know why but oh like touching touching yeah story. because because i think unlike you know how we were talking about the anti-cat she does not have any from my memory any kill the cat we'll call them kill the cat moments mm-hmm. because everybody else does everybody yeah. else got Idris Elba has one of the greatest kill the cat yes. moments when he meets his daughter and basically tells her to fuck off like 20 times 20 times like I don't it's like you brilliant. I don't want to be your father go away and you're just like brilliant. you are an asshole yeah. like what an absolute kill the asshole cat. I like that it's copyright Lavatory. yeah kill the cat you know what I mean like that's what it was but it was interesting to me because with Ratcatcher, unless you hate rats, like the whole concept of Ratcatcher that was getting some people, and I think it got Ed a little bit, but definitely gets Idris Elba's character. Yeah. <laughs> but like if you hate rats, I don't. I, I love rats. I yeah. had pet rats back in the day, and a yeah. thousand of them crawling on me would probably be joyful as long as they're not oh, as long that. as they're not biting me. You know what I mean? Like yeah. play along. And 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 obviously Ed, like the big thing for there was it's a daddy daughter story, isn't yeah. it? You know? And, and and the reveal on that for me was huge because mm. it's a daddy daughter with one of my favorite actors slash directors. I, I don't know if you noticed, but when we were in the theater and he first popped up, I was doing No, this. you told me this, and I, I, yeah. I it totally went past me because I was like I wasn't even paying attention really. Just well, like, oh, that's really he's sweet. he's lying down and I start like twisting my head and I'm like, is that is that Tyka? And then in my head, I'm like, oh, you racist piece of shit. Not all brown people look alike. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> Sorry, Tyka. <laughs> yeah. But actually, it was Tyka. So, you know, a uh, lovely surprise. And again, the story itself is quite moving. And Very it, moving. And I think this is where James Gunn does... He has a little bit of, like, the fairy dust or, or, or just in his writing. He's able to make you something ridiculous and something funny and something outrageous. But then he's also really able to kind of touch your heart and, you know... I liked it because it was like, it was, you know, if if you're looking at this as the ensemble, it was the one part of the ensemble that you say, well, maybe some of these people really are, though, just misunderstood. You know, just because that is her, that is her kind of thing, is that she's not, she steals because she has to, Mm. you know, because she doesn't have any money. Mm. You know what I mean? That's what she was taught by her father to do. So, like, they did a lot of that. They don't do that with many of the other characters. The other characters aren't given kind of that past. They're said, like, these are bad people. Like, Mm. they do bad things. Although, I feel like, because they they gave Bloodsport a little bit of a, like, connection. He talks about his father and stuff like that. And then, like, uh, Polka Dot Man... You know, definitely you, you get to see his trauma with, with, with his mother and stuff. Peacemaker, not not really. But, I, like, I, I feel like there was... On the bus ride, right? Mm. When they're trying to get into the 
into the city and stuff. What's the name of that guy? <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> like uh, was it, what was it, Michael it was or Dominic? Or... Dominic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. What? That's not your name? Yeah, that was I thought really... that was you. Yeah. What? That other guy? He's been with us the whole time. Who? Yeah. <laughs> that was really funny. Great gag. Great gag. Uh, but but again, like they they did do enough. It's such a tough balance, right? Because, you, you know, you, you don't necessarily want everyone rooting for them to get killed at the end. But equally, you don't you, you don't want no, them to well, become the good guys. You know, in, in the books right? that I'm reading at the moment, they talk about using your B story. And I've done this with the screenplay that, I, that I'm writing. But use your B story, your C story, your D story to help. The whole point of those stories is that they're great, but they're all supposed to move back to the A story and help that. So Idris Elba's character, you're right. As the story progresses... We get little nuggets of, well, this is why he's such an asshole. And and maybe he's not as bad as he thinks he is because, you know, deep down we still think he's nice. And I think other people actually say that about him. You know what I mean? They're like, well, he's probably actually a good guy. But it's not until he, he buddies up with Ratcatcher mm. that all of a sudden he starts realizing his right. own. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. she's the one that says it about him. Yeah, she's yeah, like, there's yeah. good in you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and that's what I mean. And there's, like, that, there's that great moment right at the end. Where he pets her rat, Sebastian. Sebastian, that's oh. right. So, in other words, what you're doing there is like you've set one character up that's already gone through her catharsis and doesn't really need to do more than you know. I, I'm sure she has a pl- an arc as well, but I, I I can't see that as well. But Idris Elba's arc's easy. Like he's got to get in the fact that he's a leader and he's a father and he needs to be responsible and not yeah. hate everything. And she's the one that acts as his like lightning rod yeah. for that. You know, because because she tells him the stories about her own, you know, her father and all these things. And whatever that does, you know, to our minds and the minds of the character, mm-hmm. it switches it so that by the end he can say, I like Sebastian mm. and I like this and I can, I you know, I don't mind taking care of people. And, you know, he's the one that negotiates the end. I love that ending when he's like, and, and we're all going to walk away. And it was like, what did you think? Oh, let's talk about some, con- another controversial character. What did you think about, what was her name now? Wallace, is it? Uh, yes, Amanda uh, Amanda Wallace. What did you think about the, her portrayal? Um, I love Viola Davis. I think I, I, she's... No, yeah, absolutely. Like, like, wonderful acting. You know, I mean, people always thought of Meryl Streep, and I know you've had your issues with her. <laughs> in terms of, like, you know, just an actress that I feel just has so much gravitas, Viola Davis is right up there for mm, me. Mm. Um, I didn't have a problem with it. I Like, I felt that it was... You know, I feel like she's the proper bad guy in all of this. And I think she played it that way. What? Why did you feel... No, I, I guess the reason I'm bringing it up is I'm not sure that went anywhere, though. Like, mm. that was the only thing I was kind of wondering about is they bash her over the head with a golf club, and then it's like, we all hate... But I, I didn't understand, like, what was that to do? You know what I mean? Like, right, right. Are they now, you know, woke? Are they now, like, we're not going to do these bad things mm. anymore? Like, because that's not going to happen. The government's still going to do what it's going to do with the yeah. Suicide Squad. So... Yeah. It was the only thing. Maybe it was just a, a point. Like, maybe it was, you know, at sometimes you're just writing a story and that's how it happens. You're saying, yeah. well, she would do this and they would do this. And maybe that's how it happened because mm. that's how it looked on the mm. thing. But I wasn't sure what that resolved. You mm. know what I mean? I was like, I feel like the two characters who don't really change at all in the film are probably Amanda Wallace and Harley Quinn. In the sense that they're still kind of the same character at the end as they were at the beginning. Perfect. Yeah, no, no, I think then that's exactly my point. Like that's, you know, you've hit the nail on the head. You know, Harley Quinn, you can give a pass to. Yeah, because again, I think like in a weird way, she's kind of the star. 
in the sense that, you know, she's just the, the poster girl for it. Well, you know? and because you've kept the continuity of her character, it's actually a longer story arc. Because yeah, exactly. Because you've got what happened to her in Birds, Birds of, Prey. of Prey. Which I still haven't seen. I'm, I'm going to watch it now. Film. Wonderful underwritten film. That's another one that I, I don't think we ever did. We didn't do a podcast. We no. were going to, and then we didn't do it. But I would encourage everybody to go see that. came out, I think, is it right before COVID? Yeah, it was like... And like no one saw it. Like, yeah. I was in the movie theater with one other person. And it was a good movie. It's not the best movie in the world. And, and, and when I say that, I'm just saying it's not, it's not going to, you know, change your lifestyle. But, God, there's... Who's that? Who else is in that? Um, the Huntress is played by... Oh, man, that was uh, one of my favorite actresses. The girl who plays Ramona Flowers. Um, oh, yes. Mary Elizabeth Winstead. There you go. I'm who's now married now. She just married and had her first kid. Um, I read all the gossip rags, guys. <laughs> makes, makes my day more interesting. Um... But yeah, there were a bunch of really good characters in that, and they get kind of like it was because it was an all-female cast. It did, it was a bit misdirected. Like the whole thing's about her breaking up with Joker and what that means for her, and it's actually more of just kind of a funny a day in the life of Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. But that's part of her arc, and so by the time she arrives here, she's already like, if you've watched the old stuff, you're like, wow, she's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so I think you have less to go with. But yeah, Wallace was the one. Like the point that Ed's bringing up. Whenever you write, sorry, a screen- what Waller. Amanda Waller. Waller, sorry. I don't know why I keep... Wallace, you know. It just sounds Waller. right. <laughs> but I think the thing that I always bring up that I really want to hamper on is, is it's important to understand that when you write anything that you're going to put to film, your characters have to change. Yeah, I mean, as, as a rule, that, that that is the rule. I think that, like anything... I think breaking the rule, I think, you know, like with Sean Gunn, with killing the cat versus saving the cat, mm. that kind of thing can can lead to interesting, uh, you know, possibilities. But yeah, if, if, you're, if you're writing a story that you want people to feel familiarity with, then yeah, 100%. Like that, you want that may, arc, have, that right? may have been what he said in there. So I'm going to set an anchor in here that's actually not going to move and we're going to see how things adapt around her. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. So. But I think, that's, I think that's a good instinct. I think that my guess is that it was very much a choice with Harley Quinn and with Amanda Waller. It was like, well, you know, what can we really do? Like, she's 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 going to be in the film because she's a massive part of the comic books and stuff like that. Um, but I, I feel like... So this is weird, and let me ask you this. Like, I've heard this being described as a soft reboot, right? Mm. Where they, they're kind of acknowledging that the first one happened... But they want to move past it, like very much felt that way. Yeah, yeah. and and yeah, and I thought that they did a really good job of it. Like I don't know if I can think of that many examples of a film that you know has done that. Yeah, I, I mean, because it's a soft reboot. Only that, like, we don't, we never talk about who Will Will Smith's character was what dead dead shot dead shot. So yeah, the assassin, yeah. like, we never go back to what happened to Killer yeah. Croc. Uh, you know what was the the. Diablo or the, the, the ah yeah 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 the other was, one it yeah. was pretty cool like I, there, there was see there was a lot of stuff in that there film was a lot there but it, the whole argument liked. was and I see this is the thing I enjoyed Suicide Squad mm. like, I thought it was good yeah, yeah. enough to watch I have it yeah. on DVD you know I'll watch it when I want but in the same sense I understood people's complaints that like the whole point with the comic book was it was different mm. so if you go to Marvel they have the Exiles which is the similar comic where they killed off major people because it was part of the shtick it was part of what they had to do mm. you know and in the exiles is interesting because it's not always villains and sometimes it has like villains that they're just all kind of 
it's, it's very quantum leap in the exiles. They they jump in together into a scenario and they all have to execute something, mm-hmm. like either kill somebody or find something. And mm-hmm. if they don't, they all die. Mm-hmm. And so that that made for some really good ones that way. But Suicide Squad, that was you know, it was an easy premise. It was like, well, let's get the villains out of you know. The, it's it, it, it answers the question that I've always asked about that ridiculous maximum security prison in the MCU that they put in the middle of like right next to Rikers Island. Like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? Why would you take you know, the worst villains in the world. You know, S.H.I.E.L.D. fixes all this by saying, no, 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 not all of them are there. Like, mm. we take we take the really bad ones and bury them, you know, 100 feet underground <laughs> and stuff like that. But again, it was like, who thought that idea was, like, something smart? You know, like, oh, six of them. We'll put them all six in the same place, and that way we can keep an eye on them, like, until they all get out and destroy the town. You know what I mean? Like, mm. New York City. So this was, like, the antithesis to this, saying, like, no, 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 we're not going to sit them all in the same cell together. We're just going to take them out and kill them one by one or, you know, put a chip in their heads so we can blow their heads off if we want to. Mm. Which, how much did you love that, by the way? Those are some of the better moments of the opening stuff when they're like, I'm telling you, turn around, turn around. Like, I love the suspense that created because I really didn't think she'd do it. And then, mm, Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was pretty cool. And it was pretty gory as well. There was a, there was a bunch of really good... I don't want to call them jump scares. Shop like, sh- Yeah, Shop like, horrors. whoa! It's kind of stuff we put in our horror movies. Yeah, like the stuff, uh, we have to do that. I mean... When she... When Harley Quinn kills the Presidente. That's, uh, that's hilarious, though, because it's all going so well, right? Yeah. It's all going so yeah. very well. And then... This is what I love, because... As a person, and my wife is not psycho, thank you very much. But uh, before Becky, um, you know, Ed can attest that I, I had some psychotic um, girlfriends. And um, yeah, that's the thing you've got to watch because she's all bunnies and fluffies until you say something mean. And it was like, <gasps> sorry, I have to kill you now. Yeah. And she's like, you know, I, I always promised myself that whenever I saw a red flag, it's just a really funny, like, and again, it's like, whoa, because I, again, I thought I knew what was going to happen, you know? And it completely subverted my expectations. <laughs> and again, Nanu, Nanu, Nanuai. I can't pronounce it. It's so hard to say. It's okay. It's okay. I love it though. But um, yeah, <laughs> and and like he's a bit pudgy, you know. He's not like a ripped. Do you know what I mean? Like, and he just like keeps messing things up. And uh, there's that brilliant scene where he walks into like what looks like an aquarium. And yeah, yeah, that's perfect, right? Because the cute little fluffy things that eat the shit out of him in five minutes, like. I- there was lots of that. Lots yeah. of like, oh, that's so great. And then, oh my God, I can't believe you did the, the freaking birdcage. I love the birds until they burnt them all to death. Oh God, yeah, yeah. And there's, again, there's, there's, there's some really like sharp things that you, I guess this is, it's the kind of thing that you're not going to see probably in a, you know, um, Justice League or like an Avengers film or, and so this is why it's nice to have, you know, different studios doing different things, things like Deadpool, things like this. Like, you know, I I, I really appreciate it because I think it stops the superhero genre, which we love, mm. from becoming something that's stale and just always the same. Well, speaking of stale, and something I just had to ask because I do feel like I might be slightly, and I, I, I you know, I, in my last podcast I said don't ever call people this, but I felt like I might be being too woke because I brought it up to, to Ed and I was like, you know, we're, we're fellow Latinos, he and I, and I was like, listen, is it not a bit cliche that we are on a nondescript Latin American <laughs> island again with a Colombian flag turned upside down and the Venezuelan flag turned upside down? A banana Republic. Exactly. And I was just like, really? Really? Like, in today's world, is this where we're going to go? Like... Now, in in fairness, 
uh, like the the reason why I kind of like it and I think it is kind of funny is because there's a lot of fucking corruption in Latin America. Do you know what I mean? Like you could you could see shit like this happening in Latin America. Okay. Um and honestly it has I've I've been I've been trying to find his name but I I couldn't find it. It has one of my all-time favorite Mexican um actors in it. The guy who plays the general. Yes. Who uh, was like in Narcos, the the Mexico version, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I saw him in this. That's the only one I saw, and it was sad. Yeah, uh, the, the, he was in this film called Matando Cabos. Okay. Which is, uh, I, I actually, I really, I'd really love you to watch it. And I'd love to do a podcast on it, <laughs> um, just because it's like a really funny kind of. You know, lock, stock, and two smoking barrels, but Mexican style Ooh. Um, of a film. So will it go back to some maybe maybe not not desperado, but the El Mariachi kind of stuff? No, no, because it's like modern Mexico City. It's not like the cliched stuff. It's like young, you know, okay. guys in in Mexico City who get into like trouble because of okay. things. You know, really really funny. But anyway, he plays a character called Mascarita, who used to be a Mexican wrestler. But who hates it when anyone says, "Hey, you were that me- you were that wrestler, you were mascarita." Yeah, and he like beats the shit out of them whenever they do it. Like brilliant. So yeah, he's my he's my Ed's shout out. And for the Ed's pick of random characters. We the rest of us don't know who they are. We this is why Ed. This is why Ed is the director. <laughs> no, then I watch Quentin Tarantino, who can list out the names of all these people. I'm like, this he's, is why Ed's yeah, the director he, because well, no, you're like that. He's very big on like certain. Actors, because then he would use them consistently. Right. right. Um, I can uh, like the sheriff in Kill Bill. Mm. You know the guy who finds the bride down in Texas. And no, this is what I mean. So they had they had you know I'm going back to QT8 again because obviously mm. you can tell you guys I love this documentary. But he was talking about the guy in Jackie Brown who used to be in 1970s style like oh yes stuff. Robert Foster Robert Foster and then got like another that. gig. It yeah. was really funny because this guy hasn't been in a ton lately. No, no. And he was so pleased he got picked for being in Breaking Bad. And they based it off of you know the role I did in Jackie Brown. So. That's why I have much love for what Ed does because, like, this is an industry and there are people out there that are not desperate but are totally not being watched when they should not be. Appreciated, and it, it yeah. will be very much more appreciative than your normal Joe mm. if you give them that right role where they can walk into it and do it well. So, mm. yeah, I, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. You know, now that you said that about Banana Republics, though, I mean, the other thing is the twist, right? Because the thing that works you have to remember school of americas and so that 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 probably solves squares the circle for me because mm. you know part of the reason i always have with people bashing on latin america is it didn't get that way because of what latin americans did <laughs> right. it got that way because of you know what americans did you know what you all oh, europeans you, did or yeah you know like they they were just like just like the african continent was carved up you know mm. for, for you know basically what the us did which you know this isn't controversial because it happened like they sent down you know, people to train troops, to train generals, to train, you know, Pinochet trained by the U.S. to be the worst dictator in the world. Why? Because we can control him. Mm. He, you know, he wouldn't, he would, you know, kill everybody except an American, you know, mm. a U.S. citizen, I should say. I should stop saying American when we're talking about South America because they're Americans too. Mm. And so here, like the big reveal that we have at the end is actually that this had nothing to do with the Banana <laughs> Republic. This was all the U.S. Mm. that set this up and, and had like their little, you know, mm. f- spy factory going on down there, their little crazy thing going on down there. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why it works. 
Yeah, no, it does. It does, because it, it does become a little bit self-reflective, doesn't it? Especially with, like, Peacemaker and... Well, yeah, all of a sudden that, that thing is killing everybody. And this is why I was saying there's no change in Waller, because she's like, well, I don't care. Yeah, get out of there. She's like, it's another banana republic getting crushed by its own stupidity. Like, good for that. I did like the whole, um, you know, harboring Nazis thing, because that's also a real thing, you know? Yeah, like people, people like, people Second like, War, you know? it's really funny because people don't like get that. And it's like, no, there are tons of them. Oh, dude, like NASA, you know, Werner von Braun and, and setting up the JPL and like all, all that shit comes from the Nazis, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, it was, it, it was, it was, it's nice. It's cool when, when, you know, something is not just plucked out of thin air, and, you know, mm. but it's like, oh, there's history that's similar. There's, you know, uh. It's not as black and white as as you might originally think and stuff, but yeah, like overall, oh, and we haven't even mentioned this. Nanue, Nanue, Nanawe, Nanawe. I don't know. Anyway, he's voiced by Sylvester Stallone, Slide! which I had no idea what we were watching. Really, really, you know, like it makes so much sense now. Yeah, it does, right? It does. Oh, because we all was, love Sly. Sly, you're the best. Man. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. Sly Stallone. Yes. One of the greatest stories I ever heard about Sly Stallone. This is complete gossip, guys. So it probably never happened. But when I was a kid, this was the coolest story. So apparently, one of these dudes I hung out with when I was actually when I was young, his brother was out in Vegas and saw Slash mm-hmm. and Sly Stallone get into a bar fight. Oh, like the guitarist from yeah, the, the guy you never see his face because the he's Stones glasses or and who, who, who? Guns and Roses. Guns and Roses, gotcha. Oh, wow. We'll, we'll, excuse, we'll excuse it. With, it doesn't listen to rock music. Yeah, I don't. Uh, with Sly Stallone, Jesus. Yeah. It seems like a really bad idea. Yeah, except that Slash apparently beat the living really? piss out of him. <laughs> well, yeah, you probably wouldn't get into a fight with Sly it Stallone. It just was one of those stories you hear when you're in eighth grade and you're like, I bet you that's true. <laughs> that's true anyways folks yeah Sly Stallone voicing voicing the chops there and I like that a bit better I told you I had my issues with Van Diesel and Groot because listen like you say three lines and I know they're intonated at different times and you know there's this whole behind the scenes that Disney did it was like you're still not convincing me that this is like <laughs> a quintessentially difficult role like you know, that you couldn't have just got anybody and, to come in there yet, and do it. And yet, I think about in that first movie when when Rocket when when Rocket's like looking at him and he's spreading himself around them and he's like, But you'll die and he just says, I am Groot and I swear to God, that I am Groot gets me every single time. I, it may. No, I'm with you. I'm with you, but does it get you cause Ben Diesel's saying it? Like <laughs> just be honest just be honest right now I mean I don't know maybe it does for you it does, uh, for me I'm like I, in could, terms of like the performance if you would have gone like I am Groot like would it have made a difference to you it like, would have I think I think okay, it would have okay. yeah right, maybe well, I'm crazy well, no it's alright we're allowed to let's be- do it let's, let's do this let's redub it and then we'll like show it to a bunch of different people and you can do the voices whatever you want like, okay yeah I like yeah. that I like that we'll see whether or not because Guardians 3, you know, Van, you, you take a break, man. I'll do what? it. I'll is do Van, it. Is Van Vin's cousin? Because it's Vin Diesel, right? Um, see, I'm, I'm thinking of the French Van. 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 Oh, as in wine. Yeah, wine. Van. Wine Diesel. Sorry, he didn't say it that way? He called himself Vin? Yeah. Oh, man. We're going to have such a hard meeting, you and I. I'll call you Mr. Diesel. How's that sound? Mr. Diesel. 
Mr. Diesel. That's right. Well, I love the guy. I'm on Fast and the Furious 7 now, and it's funny enough, I'm, I'm getting up to 9, which I was going to go see in the theaters, but it's already on my iTunes, so I'm like, whatever, I'll just buy yeah. it. <laughs> you know, and I don't have, to, don't have to suffer through that in the theater. Uh, what are you going to watch next week? Ooh, I don't, I haven't picked this week. Yeah, I haven't picked mm. yet what I'm going to watch. There's a couple things out right now. There is a couple horrors. So there's the the Forever Purge, but mm. I'm not sure. See, I like the Purge. Do you like, do you like the Purge movies? I like the Purge movies. I, I think they're very, they're very clever. Uh, I was about to say cleverly written. They're not. <laughs> right. But yeah, it's a clever like, idea. Yeah, yeah. Because it is it's something, a good hook, it's right? a primal thing, guys. Like this is a primal whatever, you know, that we all think about is what would happen if there were no laws, were no whatever, what would we do? Mm. The Forever Purge, so the premise is, is that it's just the Forever Purge. And so what happens after one particular purge is that the entire group just decides, we'll you know, keep we'll keep going. Okay. For me, I'm like... Isn't that the... <laughs> that, like, doesn't that defeat the purpose of the movie? Like, wait. Yeah, it's one night a year. Come on, guys. Yeah, like, if you do it forever, then it's just fucking, fucking people killing each other. Like, wait, what? You got Jungle Cruise as an option? No, thank you. No? No, 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 oh, no, interested. No, my mom wanted to go see that one. And yeah. me, like, I'm... I, it's not that I think it'll be bad. I just don't think it'll be good. I watch it... <laughs> I'll watch, it, I'll watch it with my daughter. You know what I mean? That's the kind of thing where... I love The Rock. I, I love... I've realized... I Dwayne love Johnson, wrestlers Johnson. as, like, uh, actors. Okay. Like, genuinely. I think they're fucking brilliant. I know. It's why you're, you know, it's why you're so attractive. He gets to see me with my shirt off all the time. So, you know what I mean? It's, that's why you... <laughs> you're an asshole. <laughs> I mean, as far as dad bods go... <laughs> um, Could giving me a little there. Come on, man. But uh, you are looking very trim nowadays. Thank though. you. Uh, but <laughs> Emily em- Emily Blunt, I absolutely adore as well. Spirit, Untamed. I know Catherine really wants. Yeah, to no, I was going to take Catherine to that if we can get down to the movie theater this weekend. Oh, we'll Free Guy see. is out, but you don't like Ryan Reynolds. No, but I told you that was the one. So Free Guy it sucked. We saw the trailer. This is a good story to share because. Mm. Like, two days before I went to see Suicide Squad, Cineworld, who loves me because I go every week, was like, dude, we have the coolest thing for you. We have two tickets, downtown Leicester Square, for the premiere of Free Guy. Mm. I'd never heard of the film, so I was like, I don't really want to go into London if I don't Mm. have to. It was at, like, 6.30, so I was like, man, that's going to cut into my family schedule because that's when I'm usually cooking and putting the kid to sleep. So I was like, this just, nah, I'm just going to delete this email and forget it. And then we saw the trailer, and I was like, oh, I fucking oh, shit. To that shit. <laughs> I was tempted to go back and be like, undelete, undelete. Lil, Lil Rel, who's like, oh, he's, he's like one of my favorite things from Get Out. He plays the friend who like predicts exactly what's going to happen to him, to Daniel Kaluuya. It's a sex thing. <laughs> it's a sex thing, man, yo. And Taika, you know, like your boy Taika. I know, Taika with he. Paw Patrol, the movie. How about that? No. That sounds good for you. No. No. <laughs> no. The Courier. Boy, does this movie look boring. What's, what's the like, Courier about? No, just, no, it's just better. Just look at the poster. Just look at the poster. It's better than Cumberbatch. It, I might actually go see that. It's a spy film. Yeah, it's going to be It's it. gonna be like, what's the fucking slowest movie ever made in the history of mankind? Really? Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? Yes, thank you. You knew exactly what film I was talking about. <laughs> but I love Tinker Tailor. Tinker Tailor, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is always so bad because you put it on with the intention of being like, I'm going to watch Gary Oldman in one of his greatest performances ever. <laughs> I wonder which Gary Oldman one of his greatest performances. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, they're they're going to they're they're in the they're in the problem is like you remember, England. you remember how sixties and seventies, right? You remember how boring the seventies looks to you now? Like it doesn't look any better when you try to recreate it. So shit uh yeah but uh, there's got to be some horror i mean i'm just looking at what's on at the stag right now yeah so you no know, i mean i saw old that was what i saw the week before mm-hmm. so no there was mm-hmm. another horror one you out were there. pretty hot on that it was all right it was old worth watching mm. it, it's one of those ones i wouldn't buy it i would rent it yeah, you know yeah, yeah i mean yeah. you'll see it once and be like that was clever it's kind of the opposite of suicide squad it's like you could totally watch that at home and it's fine yes absolutely and and yeah the opposite in in, in terms of delivery like Shalomon doesn't deliver. Like, he delivers adequacy. Like, mm-hmm. okay, you have a story there that's that's watchable. But like right. I told you, like, there's a continuity error with, with, with the aging. So part of this whole story is that they get older. And, like, there's literally a scene where the girl... This is all spoilers, by the way. The girl goes, you know, from a, a blue-eyed 16-year-old to, like, a brown-eyed 30-year-old. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, Nobody noticed. Exactly, exactly, and I do. Well, the thing is, with, with those situations, whenever that happens, and maybe I'm wrong when I do this, but I'm like, surely this was a choice, and I just don't get what the choice, or why the choice was made. But I guess sometimes shit just gets passed, and no one really notices This or is why I went on the rant about Shalaman last time, because it's like, that is the epitome to me of someone that should have had a producer right next to him being like, Find a blue-eyed actress, or give her, or contacts. buy some blue contacts yeah, that yeah, cost a hundred dollars. You know, like for all the money that was spent on that movie, the fact that they had they broke continuity that way. It, it, like that's the thing. It didn't, like you said. Did anyone notice? Does it take away from the film entirely? Like, of course not. Like, no, you're gonna watch it, and it's still pretty cool. And they're adults now, so you're like, oh my god, look how this is going. But Jesus, it was like how. How it just takes advantage of me. It's like you really think that I'm okay with just sitting here and and, and putting them in your crap, Shalomon. <laughs> <laughs> you need a producer. Anyways, let's talk before we we wrap all this up because I know Eddie's going back to the land of nods soon. Mm. Um, before we wrap it all up, though, what would you say about the Variety article I told you about? So I write, you know, let me preface mm, it to yeah, the group yeah. here. So I was very upset because on the Sunday after I saw this, or the Monday maybe. The first article I read was from Variety, who was poo-pooing the <coughs> debut and saying it only made $25 million at the box office. Mm. And my problem with that is good. We're going off the Shalomon onto this because another one of my things that get me going. Um, my problem with that was is HBO Max has this on distribution. So, of course, that's what's going to happen. Because if you have the choice of either seeing Suicide Squad in the theater or you can just watch it on HBO Max at home, especially in America, which is going through another wave of COVID, mm. what are you going to do? Of course, you're going to say, well, I'll sit at home and watch this then. So, uh, I, I don't. I really don't know the answer to this. Uh, hopefully, you do. Um, but why don't they just count the takings from the box office together with the streams? They did that with Black Widow, but the problem is, and, and this is that's exactly why. Thank you, man, because this will explain to the listener why it pisses me off. The takings from the streaming go straight back to the per. You know, go straight back to, to the, HBO to Warner Brothers. Right. Okay. But the takings in the box office obviously get split between Warner Brothers, everybody else on that line, the distributors, right. and of course the most important people on that list, the movie theaters. Right. Like, listen, guys, like I'm not joking here because, you know, business is my life. Like that's what I do when I'm not, you know, doing this. And you know, the the balance sheets for most like AMC, 
for a bunch of these people right now is bad. You're talking real bad. Like we're I mean, talking. I, I I work at a theater. They, they spent a year basically eating their capital reserves, so they didn't. And that means the money they save up for when things get bad. They've spent a year now eating into that money. And some companies like Apple has a ton of money on its balance sheet. You can go look at their public records and you'll see they carry a ton of cash. That's a smart thing because in bad times, they can always ride out the storm. I think, I think we were lucky as well because we're a theater as well as a movie theater. Um, and obviously, you know, government grants for, for theater, they, they just, they, it's big over here. Um, but I wonder if we'd have just been a cinema, if we'd have been in a lot of shit. Well, and, and that's just the thing. Like, guys, they're, they're already scraping the bottom of the barrel to try to stay open. And mm. you've seen closures in America. There's going to be closures over here coming. And it's the kind of thing that, like, if this continues and you can't justify the budgets anymore or they all go to the streaming, I just see the box office as potentially taking even more of a hit than we thought in the first place. Mm. And that's why I was a bit miffed about the Variety articles. Variety was acting as if it was the film's fault mm. that it only grossed $25 million. And it's like, well, it can't gross $100 million, you know, over a weekend or $60 million or $70 million over a weekend if people aren't going to go to the movie theaters. And, you know, in the midst of a pandemic as well, it just seems like there's, there's not a lot of forgiveness uh, in this industry, you know. So, and, and I guess the point I was making to Ed about this was like, this could kill, in my view, tentpole films. Because the only way they get released successfully, you know, and this is the business model for most of the studios, is to create a film that's, you know, costs a couple hundred million to make, which is ridiculous, but whatever. Mm. You know, we make a 200, 300 million film, mm. and then it's got to gross just about that much worldwide, or more than that, to take back. And that's the, the, the flagship one. So Universal has their six films for the year that want to do that. Disney will have its 10, you know, and things like that. And if you're only grossing $25 million, then all of a sudden, does Disney turn around and say, well, screw this. We're just going to make them for our streaming service, but we don't need to make them so big if they're only going to be shown on a small screen. And so I just, it, it causes concern for me. First of all, that Variety, who is like one of the voices in all of this, seems not to have understood like that simple mm. economics of that, saying mm. like, well, of course it's going to have a lower lower opening mm. but you know all of this is happening in in real time and so you know you've got scarlett johansson with her lawsuit on black widow which was another example of a great movie that didn't gross so much because yeah. people went and watched it on disney plus rather than watching it on the streaming mm -hmm. and and what i asked ed is you know do you think it's time now you know to start setting the timer back again and i you know i think when we and i discussed it we were of the view that in the middle of covid probably not you know i mean unfortunately it is the way it is but i guess what I would say is think about whether, you know, when this comes out and when we're all able to go to the theater again, what do we go back to? And I know some people will just scream at me over this, but I would I would advocate going back to a six to nine month window before it even appears on streaming or Blu-ray or anything. Like I, that. I kind of agree with that. I think that, you know, if you're really desperate to watch a film, go and watch it in the theater I mean, again when there's not a pandemic going on, because but it's always the case, isn't it? It's like when you try to explain to people, oh, buy local produce or, you know, buy, spend your money locally. Right? Ah, and then, yeah. And then you say, of course, and then you go off to Walmart. And then, yeah, Amazon's <laughs> the first, you know. It is, yeah, always. For, for, for me as well. We're all guilty of it, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, um, it, but it's very clear that, that the world is changing when it comes to, film and distribution and stuff like that and i i just hope that you know 
we don't lose that many theatres, we're going to lose some. Because, you know, we went to that Cineworld in... Uh, yeah, my in, Cineworld. Yeah, in Crawley. Crawley yeah. And, um, I mean, dude, it's hard to argue with that. You've got, like, restaurants everywhere. You've got an arcade. It was awesome, got, right? It was awesome. It's a day out, you know? Um, but at the same time... I, like and, and, and what the scariest thing for me about that always is when I go down now is that like it is really busy down there. I mean, you can go to the, the Crawley Leisure Center, guys. Mm. Go down there. It's always we couldn't mm. even find a parking spot at first. Then you go in the movie theater. Mm, nobody there. Yeah, I just think that you know there needs to be a bit of a shift. Like you know, rather than these like flashy neon making it kind of look like a club and stuff like that. I think experiential stuff, you know, there's the Alamo Draft House, which is the very famous place that does that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, and things like Secret Cinema Secret have made Cinema. tons of money off yeah. of making... That's that's what I'm talking about. I think you've got to bring the spectacle yeah. of cinema back again. And sadly, the only way I know how to do that is by cutting off people's access to it. Because you have to make it something more make exclusive. Make it more exclusive, yeah. You know, and that's just the way it is. That's why people love the theater. Why? Because you're only going to see that performance that one time. You know what I mean? Mm. Like... Six months time, those actors move on, go somewhere else, and the, and the show's done. That's why they have a limited run, mm. you know. And the best ones, of course, stay open for years and years and years. But even those, mm. you know, close down eventually. That's why you know, Cats leaving was such a big deal, or you know, Andrew Lloyd's got a new Cinderella coming in, and it's like, oh, what is he going to do this time? But that's the kind of thing I think you're going to have to start doing with the theater, you know, with the cinemas, is just getting people to understand that like this is a big deal. Mm. Um, you know, part of that, when I talked about it with my wife, part of it's the pricing. You know, you remember back when it was five bucks to go to the cinema. Yeah. And that's back when five bucks was five bucks. Like, 15 bucks now is a lot of money, okay? Mm. And I still don't think the cinemas understand that. That, like, no, you're asking for way more than you ever did when we were kids. And yeah. that's not just because it was always five when you were in the 80s. Like, in the 80s, five bucks still wasn't a ton of money. Like, and you used to be able to go to the dollar cinema. Oh, man, I used to live next to the dollar <laughs> cinemas. That was awesome. You know, that, that basically should, that was, that would be like the ultimate model for me. You do your six months before it gets to the dollar cinema. And then for three months, it's at the dollar cinema. And then all of a sudden it's back on DVD. So. <laughs> but, uh, you know, pirating apparently killed all that. When I researched why it's done this way, the original shortening of the timescales came because obviously people were going to movie theaters yeah. and pirating. And it was like, well, what's the point? You know, we've had like notices at the, th at the theater, with, like people warnings about people recording in, in theaters and stuff. But I, I see that a lot less now. You know what I mean? Now, don't I, get me wrong. I stopped, I, I stopped I pirating so years yeah. ago because, you know, I moved in the film industry. And the, the benefit is with the film industry, you know, if you are a pirater, out there don't get me wrong we all did it at some point in our life but if you move into the film industry you'll be surrounded by enough people who put enough pressure on you that you know i remember i had a tivo box yeah, too sure. and it was like get rid of that thing you know and it was like okay my bad so you know it's it's the kind of thing that i there's got to be a solution yeah. i just i was appalled that it was like you take a good film and you've written a really crappy article on something they can't control you know what i mean like 25 million in the box office is just trying to say this is what happens when you stream something. And this is why I said to Ed, like, I'm still petrified for Dune because the trailer looked amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And then it was like, and then I'm like, God, but it's going to be released on HBO Max at the same time Ugh. in October. So, you know, it's come on, America, get your stuff together and get out of your COVID waves. So you all can go see this great film in the cinemas. Yeah, because we need to go visit. So, you know. That's right. That's right, man. All right, folks. Well, that brings us to the end of today. 
Thank you all for joining. I hope you've enjoyed us talking about all the craziness of Suicide Squad and everything else. Today we had a bit of a rant about a lot of different things. Um, would appreciate your comments, questions, concerns, anything. Like, you know, dive in and start talking about this stuff with us, man. We'd love to open a conversation about what you think about, you know, putting DVDs out for six months or nine months. Is that crazy, you know, in, in your view? Is that something that would work? Or what did you think about Suicide Squad's story? Did you think it went all over the place? Was it, it's, it's the Suicide Squad. This right? one's the Suicide the Squad. The Suicide like, Squad. Okay. I feel, you know, I feel, yeah, I feel like that one of my favorite seems social network when, when, when it's Justin Timberlake and he's like drop the the you know <laughs> only because the real Sean Parker is not nearly that cool and, and it would never have said it that way but when Justin Timberlake does it as Sean Parker it was like you're so cool JT he's so cool he's so cool so next week I'm not sure what we're doing next week actually we have Mitch coming on yeah. in two weeks time to watch what was the name of that film for, La, for, La, La Habitación de Flamata something like that yes so it's a Spanish film it was really funny I, I, I sent it to Mitch and I didn't send it to you I, I bought the first Mitch was like the only place you can get this on YouTube and I was like no no I'll find it because I always find these things Fermat's for Room Fermat's Room yeah so I found yeah, La Habitación de Flamata yeah mm. So I found it, and then it got sent to me from Spain, you know, via Amazon. Sorry, guys. You know, via Amazon. And then there's this huge, I mean, huge disclaimer on the front of the Blu-ray being like, this is a Blu-ray from Spain. It will not play in English. You have to go to the subtitles, which will be called subtitulos. Mm -hmm. I was like, what moron, you know, bought this and was like, because it says La Habitación de Format right on the front of it. And was like, there's no English in this, mate. I'm sorry. I just, my, you know, I get a bit of aggression towards England sometimes. And that was one of my, like, oh, come on. You know what I mean? Like, of course it's in Spanish. It's a Spanish film. You know what I mean? Why would a Spanish film be in English? So, but we're going to do that in two weeks' time because I think Mitch can't do until, he can't record until next Thursday. Cool. So that'll mean, and we're also going to do a little bit of a Fright Fresh preview there because the following week is when I will be with Mitch. You know, we will be going to do our, oh my God, it's the first time in, since Glasgow, man. Since I went up to Glasgow that we're all actually going to be physically together. It's cool. It's funny. I, I had like the idea, I can tell you, I had the idea of like promoting and doing a bunch of promotions and doing everything. And now I just kind of want to hang out with my friends. Yeah, man. man. You know First I mean? one like, back, you know. Just, just enjoy, enjoy it, it that way. So, yeah. but next week, I'm not sure what we're going to do. Ed's going to talk to me and we'll, we'll come up with something. Yeah. Something silly. I mean, maybe sh I'd be up for doing Schmigadoon if you wanted to, but I don't know if, if that, that would be a very popular or not. Oh, he says it with that <laughs> face. Like, he just gave me the best friend face. Like, if you really want to, we can think about doing Schmigadoon. I do some Schmigadoon, would you? Schmiggy. 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 All right. All right, folks. Well, I'll leave you with that. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and comment. And we'll see you all next time. It's rolling around the bit, and I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when I'm stuck in fools in prison. And time keeps dragging on. But that's strange.